from ARUP Laboratories on the campus of the University of Utah. Welcome to the LabMind podcast, where we discuss the future of diagnostic laboratory testing. I'm Dr. Brian Jackson. Good morning. Today is Wednesday, April 22nd, 2020. Today's LabMind podcast is part of the special series we're doing on laboratory diagnostics in the days of COVID-19. So I need to put this in present historical context. As of today, we're nearing the end of April. We are still in extreme social distancing here in the United States. Some European countries have started to open up a little bit, and a number of U.S. states are itching to open up. So we're all eagerly awaiting the outcomes of that and to see how that plays out. But we're still very much in the, the middle of this first wave with a lot of scientific discovery frantically happening, and that's what we're going to be talking about in our podcast today. So my guest today is Dr. Tracy George. Dr. George is the Executive Director of Clinical Trials and PharmaDX at AREP Laboratories. Clinical trials testing is a little bit self-evident. We'll talk about that more. And PharmaDX is a boutique R&D shop that caters to the diagnostic laboratory testing needs of pharmaceutical and biotech companies. Dr. George is also a professor of pathology at the University of Utah. Dr. George did both her medical degree and her pathology residency at UCSF, University of California, San Francisco, and her fellowships in hematopathology and surgical pathology at Stanford. She then spent 10 years on faculty at Stanford, then moved to the University of New Mexico, where she was section chief and vice chair, and then recently, about two years ago, joined AREP Laboratories and the University of Utah. Dr. George, welcome to the LabMind podcast. Hey, thank you, Brian. We want to talk about clinical trials today in the context of laboratory medicine and this COVID-19 pandemic. Could you just give us a little bit of background about your experience during your pathology career being involved in clinical trials work? Sure, Brian. I started with clinical trials work 15 years ago when I was an assistant professor at Stanford University. I was involved in a large multi-institutional international clinical trial for systemic mastocytosis, which is a very rare disease. And it took us actually seven years to get enough patients enrolled in that clinical trial. And I performed the central pathology for all of those patients. And then from there, that got me interested in doing clinical trials work, primarily in the uh, hematology space. And over the years, I started doing additional clinical trials work until I was recruited to ARUP a little more than two years ago. And now we're doing clinical research studies, the testing for that, for multiple trials, both in oncology as well as not oncology studies from around the world. How would you describe the clinical trials function at ARUP and maybe if there are any similarities or differences between, let's say, traditional CROs and those kinds of companies? Sure. So we provide laboratory testing here at ARUP for clinical research studies, primarily within the U.S., but also outside the U.S. as well. Our clients are other universities, including the University of Utah, pharmaceutical companies, biotech companies, and contract research organizations, as well as other central laboratories. And so what we do here in the clinical trials group is we first vet each project to make sure that we're the right lab to do the testing. My clinical trials group offers testing off the ARUP test menu, while my PharmaDX group offers more customized services for pharmaceutical companies and biotech, including companion diagnostics. And then we manage each project with a team of project managers, as well as a dedicated specimen management team. 
And you might ask, why don't CROs or contract research organizations run all their own clinical trials testing? But the fact of the matter is, is that we offer testing that is available nowhere else in the world. And we also do a really fabulous job managing these clinical trials with excellent customer service. And so when audits arise, and they do arise from the sponsor side or from the FDA, we're there to coordinate those audits, answer all the questions, whether they're technical and regulatory, about the assays that we're performing. So we're here to support these clinical research studies from the beginning to the end. So let's apply this to the pandemic situation. We're in the middle of this sort of COVID-19 world where everything feels turned upside down and, and quite different from what we've been doing for the past few years with all of the focus. What's going on with your group related to COVID-19? Maybe take this from a historic perspective. How did this sort of kick off from your group's perspective? We're continually doing clinical trials uh, studies, and then the pandemic hit. And a couple of weeks ago, I was contacted by uh, Dr. Jensen, the chair of the Department of Pathology here at the University of Utah. And he said, the University of Utah wants to do a big COVID-19 study, a clinical trial evaluating the efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, one of these anti-malarial drugs for patients with COVID-19. And he said, they want ARUP to do the lab testing. And he said, so I want you to help. And so... It's hard to say no to your department chair. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. So I said, yes, Dr. Jensen. (laughs) But what that means is that I had to bring my team to bear in terms of all the laboratory testing that's going to be required. And so when you're providing clinical trial support for such a large study like this, you're involved from the very beginning. So we got on the phone with the PIs, Rachel Hess and Adam Spivak, to talk with them about what the purpose of their trial was and the type of laboratory testing that they thought they needed. And this was pretty similar to a lot of the clinical trials where we get on the phone with the PIs, is they knew they wanted PCR COVID-19 testing, but we have to get down into the nitty-gritty, and that includes what types of swabs that you're going to use, what equipment you're going to run the testing on, what are the logistics, how do you collect the samples, where do they get delivered. And so we get into all those details because, as you know, there's a nationwide shortage of collection kits, and that includes swabs. There's a nationwide shortage of test kits to test the samples. And so in the course of all of these conversations for a trial that we needed to start within 14 days at that point, we had to source 15,000 swabs in this environment, and we did it. It was unbelievable. I can't even tell you the hoops that we had to jump through. I ended up talking to all the medical directors who do the testing here at ARUP, and my teams worked nights and weekends to source swabs from around the country to make sure that we could get enough swabs in so that we could test these patients because this is a several hundred patient trial and the primary endpoint was going to be a viral shedding as tested by our PCR test for COVID-19. So I think this was probably one of the more stressful uh, <laughs> uh, trials that I had to be involved in. And we've been on the phone, I would say, initially we're on the phone every single day and then uh, every couple of days. It gets better. A couple of days after that initial contact from Dr. Jensen, I was contacted by William Deere, the uh, health center here at the University of Utah. 
And, and he said, we have other researchers here who also are interested in doing COVID-19 clinical trials. Tracy, make it happen. So we got all these other researchers who were really interested in doing fascinating work on genetic testing, um, complement cascade, and trying to figure out why some patients get really sick and others don't. And But remember, we're in a, a time right now where we have limited testing capabilities, limited collection kits, uh, limited tests. So I coordinated a phone call where all the PIs for these studies were on the phone at the same time and got them all to work together so that we're doing one large study where we're collecting blood and other samples so that we can provide materials for all of these researchers and they can all work together because that's how we're going to make advances in science and medicine for patients who are sick with COVID-19. And luckily, I'm amazed, but it all worked out. So now everyone is working out together. We're working through the IRB protocols. We're making sure that the appropriate samples are getting collected, that we can do all the testing for that. We've managed to do all this within 14 days. So I'm really proud of my team, Erica Clyde, Trent Waite, and others who came together and who are still working on this to make it happen. You've spent your whole career in academic medical centers where clinical trials are part of the landscape. What's different about the last couple months? Does my question make sense? I think it does. Before I came to ARUP, I was involved in academic clinical trials. Um, Some of those were sponsored by pharmaceutical companies and some were not. But the last few months of the pandemic have been different because of the timelines. Normally, we have a several-month lead time on clinical trials before things start. So that gives our team plenty of time to coordinate all of these logistics, make sure that whoever our customer is, whether it's a contract research organization or a university, that we know how we're reporting things, et cetera. Time has been of the essence here with COVID-19 and the pandemic. And with patients dying, you know, we needed to speed things up. So I think that's been one of the main differences has been time and then materials. I've never been in a situation before where I was considering going down to the drugstore to see if I could possibly get swabs for a study. And indeed, these were the things that we were talking about. I had no idea. Nasopharyngeal swabs, oral swabs, just nasal swabs, universal transport media. There's all of these details that you have to get into for clinical trials collections. And this was different. And then, you know, the nice part about this was everyone wants to help and people want to work together on this. So the scientists and physicians who are involved in these studies have been incredibly collaborative. And it's really been a pleasure to work with them. This may sound like a dumb question, but why are clinical trials so important at this point in time in the COVID pandemic? And just to to give my question a little bit of context, obviously there's a ton of effort and resource right now going into care of individual patients and just sort of clinically coping with this disease. So given that we have so much resource going into trying to get patients tested, if they they need ICU care, make sure that we have enough capacity, just focusing on the clinical side of it, why would it make sense 
to put a lot of resource into these research studies at the same time that we're putting so much effort into academic medical center capacity into just trying to take care of them? This is a great question, Brian, and and this is a question I think that many patients have around the country because they don't understand how we do clinical trials and clinical research studies for patients. It's not enough to take an unproven drug and give it to a patient and not know how it's going to affect that patient. And the anti-malarial drugs that are being uh, posited as being effective in COVID-19, that's one of those situations where we don't know if hydroxychloroquine and other derivatives are effective in these patients. And there are actual serious side effects for these drugs. So clinical trials are important because they allow for testing of drugs in patients in a controlled manner. So we can figure out which drugs do and do not work for patients. And it's important to really have well-controlled clinical trials that are well-planned. So, for example, some of the studies that have come out of China and France have had very small numbers of patients, and it's, you don't have enough statistical power to infer and, or, you know, to figure out whether these drugs are actually effective or not. So we've planned here at the University of Utah with Intermountain Health a large um, uh, research study looking at several hundred patients with both testing and control arms to figure out whether hydroxychloroquine is effective. And you can see all of these new drugs that are being tested in patients need to go through well-controlled clinical trials. There's also another part of this. We're, you know, in a situation right now where we're trying to develop a vaccine for patients with coronavirus. Well, you actually have to have clinical trials for these vaccine trials. And ARUP can also provide testing for vaccine trials. So our groups can provide, you know, clinical trials, testing for both therapies, but also for the vaccine trials. And it's important to do this in a, in a well-controlled manner. And having um, an academic institution like we do, um, the University of Utah behind us, we're filled with medical directors who've participated in many, many uh, clinical trials, and we know how to do it. And we're able to work with others and come up with an effective plan so that we can perform the testing that's needed for clinical trials in both an effective technical manner, but also so that it you know, stands up to the regulatory review by the FDA that's necessary. Yeah, it does seem discouraging to watch the news and just sort of realize how a large portion of the public doesn't seem to appreciate the need for this kind of clinical research. On one hand, why would you expect them to? If they're not in this profession, why, why would we expect them to understand it? But on the other hand, it does, it does impact the public health when people you know, are just are clamoring to, to take unproven drugs and things like that. Do you have any optimism that the public is going to come out of this pandemic with a deeper appreciation for clinical science? I actually do. I mean, I think sometimes the public forgets that as physicians, you and I have taken an oath, and that oath includes doing no harm to patients. And that means that physicians can't just prescribe drugs that are unproven to patients with certain illnesses, and that includes COVID-19, because we know that there are serious side effects. 
And every patient's life is important to us. And I think all of the news articles that I've seen across my news feed highlighting the clinical laboratory and medicine and clinical trials with Dr. Fauci and others is emphasizing how important this is. We can't just give unproven medications to patients. It's not ethical. It can really cause harm. And so I I think patients, or at least I hope, will come out of this understanding a little bit more about clinical research studies and how they perform, and also recognizing how important healthcare workers are in a case like this with the pandemic. You know, the healthcare workers are the unsung heroes. Our folks in the labs who are testing 24 hours a day, these are the heroes of the pandemic, as well as all of these first responders. And, you know, I I hope the public sees this how we're all coming together um, to help in this time of crisis. And obviously a big part of that is academic medicine, both you know, academic medical centers and all of the physician scientists, such as yourself, who work there. I sometimes get the sense that the public doesn't understand what value academic medical centers bring. Sometimes there are perceptions that academic scientists spend all their time pursuing you know, obscure esoteric ideas with with no practical significance. In this COVID situation, uh, maybe it will be more obvious academic medicine is incredibly practical because that's how we find out how to take care of new diseases. I absolutely agree with you. The large multi-center clinical trials that we're discussing, these are funded by the NIH and pharmaceutical companies and often universities. These sorts of studies are performed at top academic medical centers like ours. And we do this because we have to make sure that the data is correct, that it's accurate, that it's well collected. There's incredible regulatory hurdles that you have to undergo. But then you can be confident that the question that you're asking, in our case for this one trial, is hydroxychloroquine effective in patients with COVID-19? We'll know the answer in a couple of months once we've collected this data. And academic medicine has a role to play. And this isn't basic science. This is clinical research studies. And that's what I've done for most of my career. This is incredibly important allows the translation of basic science into actionable clinical medicine. So to go back to something you said a little bit earlier that piqued my interest, you were talking about your AREP clinical trials group coordinating across a number of different research studies at the university. So I have this stereotype, and it may be unfair, but, but this perception that a lot of academic research in universities uh, happens in silos that you know you have different PIs that each have their own lab and and they sort of build up sort of a local infrastructure around their lab, but you don't always see a lot of collaboration across different labs. Could you speak a little bit about again in the context of this COVID nineteen pandemic? Why is it important for research groups to coordinate with each other to collaborate and and how has your clinical trials group played some of that role? in in making all this work better? We've been contacted by dozens of clients about performing COVID-19 clinical research studies. And that includes doing the PCR test for COVID-19, IL-6 for the cytokine uh, storm, that testing, antibody testing. And if you have multiple small studies 
it's really hard to get answers for research questions. But large, well-controlled studies, you're much more likely to have the statistical power to answer the questions that you have. And so when we started getting contacted about multiple studies, and some of these were here at the University of Utah, we knew what we had to do. It made no sense to us to potentially waste resources with a bunch of smaller studies all from a single place. Instead, that's why we got everyone on the phone to plan a larger study where there were multiple types of specimen being collection, sputum, these nasopharyngeal swabs, blood, all of these different things so that we would have enough um, specimens to test at every time point for all of these researchers because we knew we would get better results for these uh, research scientists if we coordinated this testing. And, you know, we have limited supplies, so we knew we didn't have enough supplies. I was being told this by the lab to conduct dozens of small studies, but we do have enough supplies to conduct smaller number of larger studies that are well-planned and well-controlled. I was really encouraged on these multiple phone calls by the researchers understanding this. They got it. They're like, yes, we have to work together. And by the PIs being so open and collaborative to to doing this. So now what what we're going to have come out of this single large study is multiple research endpoints. Yes, we'll be able to answer whether, in our case, this drug, hydroxychloroquine, is effective in COVID-19 patients, but we'll also be able to look at the genetics of these patients, look at different pathways in their bodies to try and figure out why some patients are sicker than others. And, And so this is very gratifying for me is to be able to coordinate all of these groups. It takes a lot more work. But we're willing to put that effort in as coming from an academic research center because we know that's the right thing to do, right? I could say, hey, we're going to make a lot of money, do all these tests, but that's not the point here. The point is to get the best outcomes for patients, and we're able to do this if we have the best research studies. I love this story that you're laying out here. It it seems like in the science world that the particle physicists have done the best at this over the years, doing big science. And I suspect it's because uh, when you have to use a super collider in Switzerland, and that's a very limited resource and everyone has to share it, it sort of forces people to collaborate on a larger scale. But life science hasn't historically scaled up quite as much as that. And, and maybe it's because of the coordination challenges that you're talking about. You know, it's interesting. So I've spent the majority of my career, my personal research is in a rare orphan disease, systemic mastocytosis. Because it's so rare, I've had to study this with scientists from around the world, and we've come together in a research consortium in order to do this. And here at ARUP, we actually study many orphan diseases here, and we have dozens of medical directors who are experts in these incredibly rare diseases. But when you work together with people from around the world, you get the brightest and the best minds. You know, you can really plan fantastic studies and get treatments at the end of this. And I've seen this personally with systemic mastocytosis, with midostorin and avapritinib now, and I've watched this happen with gene therapy testing. Many people don't 
know it, but AREP is the main laboratory for gene therapy testing. And so we have a history of doing that here at ARUP. And so I think we were particularly well positioned in this pandemic to help bring people together uh, to study the virus that causes COVID-19. I wonder if one of the cultural benefits coming out of this pandemic might be if the public can get away from the stereotype of the lone inventor, you know, scientist, genius that figures out everything on her own or his own, and replace that with a more accurate picture of science as being this intensely collaborative enterprise? Because I I think that's what you're describing here. You're absolutely right. You know, we bring together the brightest and best minds from academic medicine, but also from industry. You know, there's incredible researchers who work in biotech and pharmaceutical companies, and we all work together on these research projects, designing the best clinical trials so that we can get the answers that we need. To close out, I'd like to ask, is there something about the nature or process of academic medicine, some new insight that you've discovered over the past couple months uh, during this uh, COVID-19 pandemic? I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I had no idea there were so many different types of swabs for collecting samples for uh, COVID-19 PCR testing. It's kind of funny, but I have now been educated by the microbiologists about all of the different swab types and the different sensitivities for these various tests. So it's a little bit funny, but I, I didn't know beforehand, but now I do. But that's what science is. There's so many details that you just don't expect to, to make a difference, but, but they do. Right. All right. Well, uh, Tracy George, thank you for joining us today on the Lab Mind podcast. Thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. Bye, Brian. Thank you for listening to the Lab Mind podcast, sponsored by ARUP Laboratories. ARUP is a not-for-profit enterprise of the University of Utah and its Department of Pathology. You can find more LabMind podcasts at www.arup.utah.edu or subscribe to LabMind using iTunes or your favorite podcast app.